Well, good morning, Crossroads Church. Uh, it is great to be here with you, even if it is online. And um, while I wish we could be together in person, I'm grateful for technology in this moment, the opportunity we do have to still remain connected in some way. Um, this morning, by way of uh, announcements, just to catch you up to speed with a couple things, um, if you didn't already see, we have a video out on YouTube on both of the YouTube channels for each campus um, explaining where we've landed as a church when facing the new guidelines that have come out. Um, we've continued to evaluate based on the pillars by which we're making decisions, which are that we're going to love God first and foremost, and we're going to obey what he says. Then we're going to love and shepherd our people well in the way that God calls us to do. And we're going to honor and respect our governing authorities as God has called us to as we honor and love him. And so where have we landed at this moment? Um, well, we're going to have our online service available. And we're also going to be offering our 1030 service at both campuses outdoors. Uh, I know that's, that's a big ask for some of you to come out in the cold of winter and experience uh, all that that uh, the wind and the rain may bring, and yet um, we're committed, we're devoted as a people of God to come together still and gather. And so in doing so, we believe we can honor God in remaining committed to what he's called us to be about and honor the authorities in abiding by those guidelines at this point. Um, that is a decision we continue to wrestle with as a team, that we continue to sit down weekly and evaluate where we're at and what scripture says and, and everything that's come out, the new information, and make sure that we are both honoring God and what he's called us to do as leaders of this church and that we're honoring the authorities that he has placed over us. So, so know that that's continually going to be evaluated and we will continue to, to come back to you guys and keep you informed as new information comes out. Um, also, during this time, we want you to stay connected if you aren't already a part of our, our regular email blasts that go out to inform you of what's going on, uh, make sure you sign up for those. If you aren't following the, the YouTube channel or the Instagram, make sure you subscribe to those that you follow the channel so that you are caught up to speed all the time. Uh, information is changing daily. Uh, new information comes out and we have to shift and, and move around with it and we want to make sure you're informed and we also want to make sure you're connected. Uh, you can be a part of our daily reading plan that's going on, and those weekly videos are coming out on Facebook, on the Instagram, and we want you to be a part of those as well. And so I know it's harder in this time, but let's be a, a church that is intentional about staying connected, that is devoted like that early church to make sure that we're with the body, that we're doing life together. So we're going to continue our study this morning in the book of Acts, and um, just by way of review, if you weren't with us last week, we, we started chapter 5 looking at the example of Ananias and Sapphira, this couple that, that saw the way Barnabas had given of what he had and sacrificially had loved God's people by selling and laying in at the apostles' feet to be distributed to those in need. And they formulated this plan, this, this um, wicked desire within them to, to get the praise of the people at half the price, to to offer to the apostles as if they're giving all and yet only giving some and holding some back. And the Lord didn't allow this kind of hypocrisy and this, this sin to infiltrate the church in this way. And so they, they fall dead in that moment. There's, there's an example made of them in this time. And, 
Great fear comes upon the rest of the church. But the Lord has set a standard that, that he is a holy God who is calling us to be a people who walk in holiness. Um, and that there is a greater danger that comes from within inside the walls of the church than any persecution from outside. And so the Lord sets a standard here. Well, we see the people continue to go out to, to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And, and many are being healed and their numbers are continuing to grow. And so this brings us into where we are. Uh, beginning at verse 17, when it says that the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with, with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. When one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all people. And he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain and all those who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against it. And they agreed with him 
And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's pray as we go ahead and look at God's word. God, as we spend some time diving into this section of scripture, Lord, seeing the early church under persecution, continuing to boldly proclaim your truth, God, we pray that we would be encouraged by their example. We pray that we would be challenged by their boldness, Lord, and we pray that we would be inspired, Lord, to go out and to live in such a way for your glory. God, would you speak mightily through your word in this time? Even through a screen, Lord, we pray we would feel connected to each other and connected to you and that you would be glorified. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we immediately glance at our text this morning in Acts chapter 5, what you'll notice is a lot of similarities from what we've already seen happening. Much like when, when uh, Peter and John before were put on trial, that they were asked to give an account by what name or what power they had made a lame man well. Um, here, once again, they are arrested for preaching the gospel, for, for preaching specifically in the name of Jesus that they were told not to do so. And so they're brought away from the temple. They are put into prison. In fact, they're put into a common prison as we're going to see, but there's a few differences we're going to see this time around as opposed to last time. You see, this time around, uh, when they're preaching the gospel, when they're preaching the name of Jesus, there's other men with them. This is the whole apostle group together that are going to be put in prison. Uh, this time, they won't remain in prison overnight because we're going to see this, what I like to call an angelic interruption, as they are freed from their cells and sent out to continue to preach the gospel. Now this common prison or this public prison they were put in was most likely in the middle of the city and it would have been something visible for those passing by because they wanted to use prisoners placed in this prison as an example. They want to make an example out of them of what happens when you defy the religious authorities, when you come against the government. And so they're placed in this very visible space and yet that night an angel visits them. An angelic interruption takes place. This messenger of God comes to them and frees them from their cell. It says that he opens the doors, that he, he brings them out, and then he sends them with this command. Now we read that the doors were locked in the morning, that there were guards at the door in the morning, and so we're not even sure how exactly. We're not given that insight in the text. Um, how did this angel bring them out? Um, but by whatever means he did so, he brought them out and he gives them this command. He says that they are to go, that they are to stand in the temple, and they are to speak to the people all the words of this life. I love those three specific actions they're called to there. The first is to go. The same first word Jesus used in Matthew 29 when he commands the disciples to go therefore and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to go to be busy. It's a call to action. It's the first two letters of the gospel because it is the beginning of the gospel. It's us getting up and going. It's us doing our part and being about the work of God. It involves us being willing to go like Isaiah, 
who in chapter 6, when he, he's seen the glory and the presence of God, and, and God asks the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That Isaiah proclaims, send me. Here I am, I will go. And the Lord sends him out. Here the angel is telling the disciples, you are to go, to go back to that temple. You are to return to your work. Don't run away in fear. Don't, don't be caught sleeping and slumbering when there's work to be done. Go. Go back to this place. They were freed, but they were given a responsibility with that freedom to act upon what they knew they were to do. Well, after they go, then they're told to stand in the temple. Go right back to that place you were arrested. Go right back to that place of persecution. Return to that spot and stand. Don't be caught sleeping on the work. Don't kneel before the power of this religious authority. Stand upon the truth of what God has called you to do. Stand upon the authority of the word of God and the power of the Spirit. Like Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. It was a call to stand up for the truth, for what was right, to continue to heal, to continue to proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This one crucified who had died, resurrected, and had come again, and had empowered them by his spirit, he said, stand for this. Don't fall for a lie, stand for the truth. And in standing for that truth, the third action they are called to is to speak to the people all the words of life, to boldly proclaim the truth that they are witnesses of. Don't be silent about the words of life when you're speaking to a dying world. They needed to speak the truth out. Like the command given by the Lord in Zechariah chapter 8 to the house of, of Judah and Jerusalem. In verse 16 we read, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. People need the words of life. People are hungry for the words of life. And so these disciples were commanded, go and speak what those people need to hear. There are lies constantly being spread. We who have the truth, we can't afford to be silent about it. And so the angel tells them, go, stand, and speak the words of life. Now, I find this humorous as we look at our text here because these religious authorities are unaware of everything that's taken place this night. And so in the morning, as they, they send some guards to go and get these prisoners, they find the guards at the gate, they find the, the cell door locked, and yet there's no disciples there. And some of these religious authorities are this group, this religious sect, the Sadducees, who don't even believe that angels exist, who don't believe in this spiritual realm, and yet God uses an angel that they don't even believe in to free his apostles, these disciples. And so when they send the soldiers, the soldiers return saying, they're not there. And as they begin to try and figure out what exactly they're going to do, how do we move forward with this? They receive word that those disciples you arrested are in fact right back where you got them. They're speaking in the temple, the words of Jesus, the very words that we arrested them for, they're back doing that same thing. 
You could say those convicts are out making converts still. They're out still doing the work we're trying to stop. And I love that we see in all of these religious authorities strength and power and everything they're trying to do to stop it, they can't. That God overnight brings the disciples out and continues to have his word be spread. That all the works of men avail to nothing against the power and strength of God in this moment. And so they go to get them. Now it's important to note that they're scared of what the crowd might do if they take them violently because the crowds love what they're doing. They're bringing life to these people. They're healing people. They're speaking the truth. The crowds are on their side and so these religious authorities take them without violence. There's a fear that is motivating one group here but it's not the followers of Jesus. The fear is motivating these religious authorities because they know the crowds are not on their side. They know the disciples are far more powerful and effective in this moment. And so out of fear, they take them quietly. They don't want any violence for fear of what the crowd might do. Why don't we see any fear in the disciples here? They're the ones put on trial. They're the ones put in prison. They're the ones who have to give an account for what they're doing. That's because we saw them pray just a couple of weeks ago for a boldness to do what they knew they were called to do. And and the Spirit has given them that boldness so that the only fear present in our text is of these religious authorities who can't stop the work of God. And so they bring them back and they ask this question to the disciples. They say, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Did we not clearly tell you you weren't to do this anymore and threaten you if you ever were to do it again? They don't even mention the name of Jesus here. They don't even want to speak the name anymore because they want nothing to do with it. They say, didn't we tell you that that name that you're using, that you weren't to speak in that name anymore? And I love the accusation they make here. They make it in a critical note, but man, what a badge of honor for the disciples to be guilty of this. They say, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Oh, that we would be a church in this area, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our homes, in our communities, in our cities, that we would be guilty of filling this place with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That we'd be guilty of, of constantly proclaiming that truth everywhere. In our homes, around the dinner table, and at work with a co-worker, brushing shoulders while we get a job done, that we're constantly filling every space we're in with the doctrine of Jesus. They didn't just do it in their homes in secret. It was filling the communities and the city with this doctrine. Let me ask you this morning, what are you guilty of filling your space with? Whether that be the the conversations that go on in your home, whether that be what you fill your social media feed with and the conversations that are going on there, or whether it be the reputation that follows you and the things you're known for? Is it more political than it's spiritual? Is it more about a conspiracy theory than the truth of the word of God? Is it more about making much of our kingdom and our name than it is about his kingdom come and his will be done? Because although the disciples will say many things and do many things, the most prominent thing they were known for was the doctrine that it represented themselves with, which was the truth of Jesus, whom they say this religious authorities had crucified, who had died and been resurrected and brings a living hope. 
No matter what we speak and do and say, the most prominent thing that we should be known for is making much of this doctrine, is making much of Jesus. That there is one name given among men by which we must be saved, it's Jesus. There's only hope and life and truth found in him. That doesn't mean we stick our heads in the sand with everything going on in the political realm right now. That doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye if there are lies being produced through the media. That doesn't mean we're ignorant to these things. But the one thing that we should be known for more than any of that is Jesus, is the gospel. May that be the most prominent thing in our lives. They make another statement that's interesting here. They say that you're, you're intending to bring this man's blood on us. They say the disciples, by what they're doing, you're trying to make us guilty of the blood of this Jesus. But don't you realize that just a few weeks prior, this is exactly what they asked for? Let me read to you in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus is on trial before Pilate. Pilate says to the people as they declare, we want Barabbas, not Jesus. He says, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And all of them said, let him be crucified. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And listen to how the people answered. They said, his blood be on us and on our children. They proclaim boldly in this moment out of anger and wrath and a desire to see Jesus crucified. Let his blood be on us. And yet, what are they accusing the disciples of here in our text? You're trying to put this man's blood on us. This is the very thing they asked for. And yet, in this moment, they don't want it. They don't want to bear the guilt of this moment of acknowledging that they crucified the Messiah, the one they proclaimed to look for. Here we see their guilt and their shame. Peter's response to them in this moment, it's quick, it's clear, it's direct. He summarizes quickly what ultimately they need to do. And it's that we need to obey God rather than man. At the end of the day, here's where the crossroads are. You're telling us to do something that directly contradicts what God has called us to do. You're telling us not to preach in a name that Jesus has told us is the only name by which we are to preach. We have a decision to make here, and we've already determined long before this trial that we are going to follow Jesus, that we're going to obey the commands of God rather than man, that God's authority trumps even this religious authority in their day, and so they know what they are to do. Are we going to follow God or man? We're going to follow God we're going to be obedient to him. Why? Because as he says, they're witnesses. They're being put on trial for something, but they are a witness of what Jesus has done. See, there's a greater, greater trial going on here than just this trial of the name they're preaching in in this moment. It's a trial of who exactly is Jesus. Is he the Messiah or is he just some religious zealot that's trying to create a following that will amount to nothing? The real trial here is, is Jesus God? And, and Peter here is saying, we're witnesses. 
We can testify that he lived and died and was resurrected and that he is who he claimed to be. He is God. Jesus is Messiah. This is the greater, greater trial here that we testify to as witnesses. And we can only speak and preach what we have seen and heard, what we know to be true. Much like what Peter has already said when Jesus was alive. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so Peter in this moment, he knows what he needs to do. He's not going to sway. He's not going to, to get off course from where he knows eternal life exists. It's in the name of Jesus. And so he walks in obedient to that. He stands boldly proclaiming Jesus is God. And we're going to obey him rather than you. Now, the response of the leaders in this moment, they weren't cut to the heart like in chapter 2 when we saw the, that Peter proclaims this bold gospel message and the people convicted by the Holy Spirit ask, what shall we do? How do we respond to this truth? And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. No, here, these religious authorities aren't cut to the heart with conviction. They're furious, they're enraged, they're angered. They're moved by a jealousy of the authority and the power the disciples have. They're enraged by an anger and a, a fury that, that Peter here would defy their commands and that he would submit to Jesus' commands over theirs. And so in their anger, in their jealousy, they determine if we can't stop these men, let's just kill them. Instead of admitting our faults, Instead of submitting to this conviction and saying we need to honor this God and repent of our sins, they stiffen their necks, they harden their hearts, and they determine if we can't stop them, let's kill them. If we can't come against them through debate, let's just silence their voices. Let's remove them. Do you realize people are still responding this way today to the gospel of Jesus Christ? that they don't want to submit to it. They don't want to surrender to God's authority. They don't want to repent of their sin. And so in hardening their hearts and stiffening their neck, they try to cut it out of their lives. We've seen this take place in our schools, that we want to cut God out of the school. We don't want to submit to his authority. We don't want to follow his way, so we cut him out. In many workplaces, we've seen this, that we cut God out of the workplace, that there's a separation here that takes place. Because to admit him as Savior and Lord is to admit our fault, our sin, and our need to serve him. It's to place him as authority over our lives, and we don't get to call the shots anymore. And people in the hardness of their hearts in this moment are unwilling to do so. Except we see one man in the midst of this group, rise up. Gamaliel, he's a well-respected man. Here's what we read of him, that he was a teacher of the law, so he's well-educated amongst this group. That he was held in respect by all the people. And so he's got a proven character and reputation amongst this group. And he commands that the apostles be put out. He kind of calms the moment to bring them to huddle up and discuss what plan of action they do moving forward. We see he had a bit of authority with this group to be able to tell the disciples to be brought out and to proclaim we need to have a meeting here to discuss what to do. One final important note about this man 
is that he is the one later on given credit in Acts for tutoring, teaching, discipling Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul. This Gamaliel was the teacher of Saul. And that's important to note, and we'll look at that more in a moment. But as he brings the religious authorities together, he concludes that if this is a man of work, uh, a work of men, excuse me, it will amount to nothing. Much like the other groups he mentions here, these men that rise up out of their passion and have this plan and they gain a following of hundreds of men and yet then they die. The group spreads out, panics, runs away. It amounts to nothing. He says this group will be no different if this is just some passionate men. But as we know, this is a group that is filled with a fire, not the fire of passionate men, but the fire of the Holy Spirit that can't be quenched through persecution, that can't be quenched through placing them in prison, it can't be quenched through threatening them. It's going to continue to spread and grow. And so his second point is, if this is the work of God, if these men are doing something that is a part of God, you cannot overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against God. He says, let's let them go and see how it plays out. Either this is just a group of passionate men that aren't worth our energy and time and that we definitely don't want to make a martyr out of to cause this group to continue to grow, or this is men empowered by the God of the universe, empowered by the Messiah that was prophesied of coming, and we are way above our pay grade here to try and stop what he is doing. And so the group agrees. This is sound wisdom. This is a correct response moving forward. And so as they bring the apostles before them again, what do they do? Well, this time they're giving them a parting gift as they send them out. This time they want to show how serious they are about these apostles stopping what they're doing. And so it says they beat them. They give them lashes, no doubt. 39 lashes is our best guess of what they would have received as punishment. And then they are sent out. This was no little slap on the wrist. To receive lashes like this, men could die. This beating was meant to show that these authorities meant business. That they're not going to put up with this deliberate disobedience of their commands anymore. And that this is just the beginning of what's to come if these apostles don't stop preaching in this name. But what's the response we see of the apostles? They've been beaten, they're bruised, they're bloody, they're in pain. And as they walk out, though, we read that they are rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Did they comply with this command? Absolutely not. They walk away and we find them going right back to do what they were doing. In fact, we see them double down here on their mission to go and preach Jesus, look at how it describes them going out. It says, daily they were in the temple. In every house they were preaching, and they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Daily they're going out and doing this. No days off, seven days a week, 365 days a year, the disciples are going to be found preaching the name of Jesus. The enemy is not taking a day off, so how could they? The lies are spreading day after day, so how could they take a day off from speaking the truth? No, they were going to be found being about their father's business and doing the duty they were called to. 
They were going to redeem the time because the days were evil. And in every house, they didn't just preach the gospel every day. They were preaching it everywhere. They didn't want a single door left unknocked, a single person left unaware that the Messiah had come, that salvation was here. Now in spirit and in truth, they could worship this God who had made a way, who had brought salvation, who had paid for their sins and had resurrected and had now given them power to go and preach the gospel. They were going everywhere to preach this. And it says they did not cease teaching and preaching. They were steadfast in this commitment. I love that they are deliberate about what they've been called to do and making sure that every day, no matter what comes up, no matter what the consequences are, no matter what their day may look like, we're going to be found being obedient to the call of Christ on our lives which is to go and make disciples of all nations, which is to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is to make disciples of Jesus, followers of him who know the truth of who he was. They are redeeming the time. We don't even see them taking a day off to recover from their wounds, to be healed from the bruises. They're going out bruised and bloody with scars on their back, still proclaiming the truth, entering right back into that temple to share about this Jesus who was worth suffering for, who they would rejoice in their sufferings because, man, we get to be a part of suffering for Jesus. We get to follow in the footsteps of our Messiah who suffered and promised that if we desire to live godly, man, we will also suffer persecution. Now, there's been some debate over the years How exactly do we know what went on in this huddle with these religious authorities? They sent the disciples out. It was just the religious leaders within this group. How do we know the conversation that took place there? How did Luke know exactly what went on and what Gamaliel had said? Well, let's not forget who studied under Gamaliel. Saul of Tarsus, who would later become Paul the Apostle. No doubt he's in that very room as they huddled up and discussed what do we do with this religious Jesus freak group that are going out and are creating a following. What do we do with them? Gamaliel's conclusion was, if it's God that they are of, if God is behind these people, you cannot overthrow it. And do you remember what later on we will see taking place in the life of Saul of Tarsus who would become Paul the Apostle and would go on to write a letter to a persecuted church in Rome, much like this persecuted group we find here. What did he say to that group? No doubt inspired by the words of his teacher many days earlier. No doubt inspired by these very words and conclusion of Gamaliel. He would write in Romans 8.31 that if God is for us, who can be against us? That if this God who was for those apostles, that day I was a part of the group trying to stop them, continued to bring the gospel to people and spread it, man, I can be confident as I write this letter to this church under persecution in Rome, that if God is for you as he was for them, nothing can stop you. Nobody will be able to come against you. You can continue to go boldly out there and preach that gospel because when God is for us, nothing can come against us. Man, let's be a church today that understands this well. 
Let's be a church that, that knows first and foremost what has God called us to do in Scripture. Let's be obedient to that. Let's be students of the Word of God. Let's know the truth that He has called us to, of how we are to conduct ourselves, of the words we are to speak, of how we are to love people well in deed and in truth. And when we're working by the Spirit of God, let's take heart that nothing that comes against us through the power of men can stop what God is doing. There are times he spares them the persecution, and there are times they must go through it. But God is using that persecution to strengthen this group, to refine the fire within them, to continue to spread this Greek fire, as we called it, throughout Jerusalem, and as we will go on to see Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. Stand for the truth today. Let's be a people found being about our Father's business daily as the disciples were, in every home, in our workplaces, within the comfort of our own home, on our social media platforms, wherever we find ourselves today. Let's be about God's business. Let's be speaking the words of life to a world that desperately needs them with everything going on. And if we're going to be guilty of something, let's be guilty of filling our cities with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Let's be guilty of being undivided in our loyalty and our devotion to Jesus Christ and Him crucified, His resurrection and the hope and life He brings to this world. And let's be a people that go out of our comfort zone, out of our homes, who stand for the truth of God's word and the love that he offers, the extension of salvation to those who would receive it. And let's speak boldly and clearly that there is only one way to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, how fitting a text this is. And Lord, although we may not be facing the persecution that these disciples faced in the text, Lord, we recognize that there is still a very real enemy that wants to stop the spreading of your word, that wants to stop the spreading of your gospel. Lord, would we never be silent about the truth that we are witnesses of, of the relationship of Jesus that we can testify of, and may we continue to go out boldly, Lord, proclaiming your truth, standing upon your word, and demonstrating your love to a world that needs to know about the life that is found in Jesus. And it's in your mighty name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, I love you guys so much. Um, I'm looking forward to when we can come back together very soon. Uh, if you're joining us for the 1030 service, make sure you bundle up. But we look forward to continuing to be devoted to the things of God, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the prayers, and the apostles' doctrine. We'll see you guys later. God bless.